the journey you have had allows you to show up with something unique and valuable for this world that nobody else can offer. And that's amazing. Hi, and welcome to Everyday Impact, a Life Tree podcast inspiring you to take Jesus into your everyday lives. My name's Jessica Jean. And my name is Will. And Will, who do you have on the podcast today? Today, our guest is Paul Vermesh. Paul's going to be sharing with us about his own journey from pain into growth and how he took some of the lessons that he learned from an early age and reevaluated how well they served him in getting where he wanted to be. There's a lot of insight in how we can move through our own pain and grow in the process. Sounds like there'll be some pretty insightful stuff to listen for. Let's jump right in. Paul, thank you for joining us today on Everyday Impact. It's good to be here. Paul, I am excited to get into what we're going to talk about today, but I'd love to hear, maybe for the audience's benefit, some interesting things about you. I'm an immigrant son. My dad was a refugee from Hungary, and uh, he came out in 56, fought in a revolution, and landed in Canada. Uh, my mom was from the prairies, and I grew up in a small, um, actually a little farming town. Well, actually, I lived on five acres up on a mountainside in Port Alberni, a little farm, a little farm. And tell us just a bit about your family. So I have a lovely wife who I married. I, was, I wasn't late, late, but I definitely was not, uh, not in the first of the line on that one. I got married at 36 to my wife, who is an amazing, amazing partner. Um, and I've got two kids. One's almost 15 and the other one's 12. Um, both girls and surprised both times. Both times we expected boys. Doctor took the ultrasound, said 140, indicative of a, of a boy. And both times they were girls. And both times I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. It was a real adjustment actually in my brain because I actually thought I would have boys. I grew up kind of um, just in a rough kind of a town. And I don't know if I, uh, probably a little redneck. If you talk to my wife, she would definitely <laughs> lean towards the redneck. Um, not extreme, but... Uh, but it was a rough town, and I did not expect to have girls. So hmm. It's been a fantastic journey that way. They're sweet, my little princesses. You're a girl dad. I'm a girl dad. <laughs> and tell me, what do you do for work? I work within companies, governments, and we're, we, we work a lot with building team. So building team is such an important part, but to build team, sometimes it is around clear vision or helping people work together to create clear, defined, measurable outcomes. Um, sometimes we work to develop the beliefs because sometimes behaviors show up and people respond well. That's why there's mediation, all that other stuff that exists in industry. Yeah. Um, but the behaviors are driven from beliefs. So sometimes we work to help people understand their thinking. Because if you can understand your thinking, you can actually change the way you show up. Hmm. One of my bents is, is really helping people understand and being able to develop in life. Um, be free. Be free from cultural programming, um, parental programming, conditioning. We live with stuff that we've inherited. And if we're going to live free, sometimes you got to break through that. So that's one of the things I am passionate about. So summing it up, it sounds like helping people move forward. Helping people figure out how to do life well, how, how companies can pull together and, and, and create more success. Yeah. Well, I have a bit of passion for that myself, as you know, with mm -hmm. coaching. And yeah. I know that in what we're going to share today, you're going to talk with us a bit through your own journey and some of the ways that you had to move forward through mm -hmm. brokenness. Yep. 
There was a statement that you made to me earlier. You don't get free without pain. Hmm. In our failures, we learn. Can we start there with you unpacking that idea for us? Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the pause is me thinking because whenever we think, we go to a memory. <laughs> And that's usually usually where we land. It's been our learning. So <clears throat> actually was going back to some of my upbringing with my dad. When I grew up, I don't think there was ever a time that I doubted that he didn't love me. So I grew up really in a loving home. But my dad had no idea how to be a father. His dad died when he was three in World War II. Um, my dad was raised by his older brothers and uh, escaped from Hungary at 19 and came to Canada and I have, in all of Canada, I have two cousins that are alive and I had one aunt and uncle. So it's not like I had that extended family that I grew up in a nurturing where mom and dad and grandpa and uncles were around. And my dad just didn't know how to do it. So, so how do you move from pain? You know, there's, there's a lot of pain that we pick up when, when we just don't either know how to father or we didn't grow up being fathered. And so that's kind of what I grew up in. And as I said, my dad loved me, but it was still a, uh, it was a strange environment to reflect through and mm -hmm. watch in hindsight and go, wow, that may have not have been the best environment to grow up in, not the most healthiest nurturing way to be raised. But yeah. Now my mom loved me, my dad loved me, so I'm not, there's nothing there, but the, my dad just didn't know how at times. Yeah. That's a bit of an awareness there. Parents often trying the best they could, and I'm sure we could sit around and complain about our, uh, the way they raised us, but they did do what they could with what they had in most cases. But what were some of the things that your father maybe inadvertently left you through his parenting style? <laughs> so I'm going to just talk and let you guys know what my thinking is, because this is what I'm thinking. How much do I want to put on the table today? Because <laughs> I'm online and you're, you're online and I don't know who's listening. <laughs> so uh, let me just give me a second to just hear it. Let's just do this one, because this is a little safer, maybe online. We can do a little deeper as we go. But my dad, uh, he would get angry. And when he would get angry, he would yell. I think I got, I think I got the verbal abuse first, then I got the kick or the hit second. <laughs> um, and we worked really hard growing up, so we were always working. And if I didn't measure up to my dad's performance, he would get angry and take that out on myself and my brother. Um, and when you grow up in it, you just don't know. So when you're a kid, that's just the environment. You don't even have the self-awareness to go, man, this might not be the best parenting model. You just live in it. Yes. But the older I got and, and even painfully saw some of the ways that I was responding when I had my first daughter at two and three. And I thought, man, I gotta, I'm going to have to re rework some of this programming, this parental programming. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so again, that's the environment my dad grew up in. It was a rough time, probably coming out of World War II and his brothers raised him. So that's what he got modeled. And so that's what I grew up in. Yeah. He was never, I was never beaten, bruised. I never had to go to the hospital. Like there was none of that, but he would just be explosive. And sometimes he swore and said things that maybe weren't the most nurturing. Yeah. And I have, you know, when you get older, some of those tapes don't go away in your brain. It takes a lot of unprogramming to not have that initial thought when you're, when, when if I make a mistake, like the, the thought can go back and I don't, I don't think of my dad, but I'll play some of the words that he might say. 
And it's like, why don't I get that? Like, how come that never works? Like, why is, and it's just the environment you grow up in. And yeah. it kind of puts a default thought process. Yeah. Well, when we bring up past mother or father wounds, you say the, the term father and, or mother and some people immediately, that's a pain point. You try and buy a Father's Day card. Like, I think buying a Father's Day card must just be like, for I don't know what percentage of the population goes in their store and they pick it up and go, that's just my dad. Like, that's so sweet. I walk in, I'm like, not that one, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> and, and for my father, we always try and find something funny because that's where we kind of connected. And my brother is still really good at it. And my dad, when we get together, it was, it was always funny. Yeah. So we did that well. We did funny well, but we didn't do nurturing as well. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't hugs and kisses. I had lots of hugs and kisses. Yeah. But the really deep conversation that really were like impactful words, uh, we didn't get there very much as a yeah. family. It's interesting that you still recognized your father loved you through that all. We, we, we grew up really well. Like when I, when I talk, like, and that's why I'm so careful when I say it, because what do I want to say that I grew up with? Because I can tell some story that somebody here will go, that's horrific. <laughs> it was just the environment we grew up in. And my dad worked with the gritty hat. Yeah. So like, I'll give you another one. Like <clears throat> my dad, again, didn't have a dad. So he grows up in this grid and his grid was around ma masculinity and sexuality. That was like the epitome of, of, of your manhood. And so, you know, some parents like really nurture their kids and try and protect him. I think I was, well, I can tell you what year it was because it was 1979 and I can tell you my first edition of Playboy because wow. my dad took me down to the store and I'm standing in like the drugstore and there's only ladies in line. My dad picks up the Playboy magazine and he's lining up to pay it and he's so proud and he looks around all lady goes, today my son learns about sex. <laughs> This is what it means to be a, a man. This, this is what it means to be a man. And so there was my introduction, and I would have been uh, 12 years old. Wow. So now you know my, when I, what year I was born. <laughs> so but I was 12 years old, and that was like the introduction to the, that was the sex talk. Yeah. And for some people, that was normal. Like, uh, pornography is prolific now, but back then, it was only accessible by a magazine. Yes. And that's the, that was my introduction. Now, hmm. that's the game. There's pain. Yeah. Because if that's how you learn everything about your sexuality, that's not going to create a healthy marriage and that's not going to create a healthy way to show up as a kid. Um, and and there's, there's, there's effects of that. So there's the pain. It comes from the programming. My dad really was doing the best he thought he, he thought he was doing the best. Yeah. So his intentions were great. His ability and skill set might not have been as high. Yeah. So, and again, I think that ties back to what I do for work. We might have good intentions, but if we don't have the skill set, then we trip over stuff and you walk into a company and you're like, well, what's going on here? Well, sometimes it's skill set. Sometimes it, and skill set can be relational skill set. Hmm. So people actually don't get along because they didn't learn relational skills growing up. They don't have the skills. And so it's not that intentions aren't great. Sometimes there are, there are, there are ways to trace back and intentions might be great, but it doesn't mean it always things work out perfect with intentions. Yeah. So with how we're raised, with the environment, maybe not just our parents, but maybe the communities we grew up in, there's something that's passed on to us. And later in life, that gets played out. That got played out in the way that you found yourself starting to raise your first daughter. Well, if I go back even just to the community thing where you said, well, so here I am raised in Port Alberni and in the 70s and 80s, it was a heavy drinking town primarily a heavy, heavy immigrant town. So a lot of people came after World War II 
and it was a heavy drinking town. So our grad class had 200 and something. And it was back in the days where we have grad drunk. And everybody takes their booze down to the hall at the end of the year. And we get a ticket for, the, 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 for each bottle we bring in. And then we hire a bouncer. And five people from that glad class didn't show up. The whole community of grade 12 all drank heavy. Now, how does that affect you again? So then you've got, like, I've got friends who've been charged drinking and driving. I had one died of drinking and driving in the early 20s. Um, I had a friend, one of the kids I grew up with, stabbed. So you grow up in that kind of an environment. You're not aware of it because you just live in the environment. That's normal. Cultures, work cultures have a culture that you just don't, you don't recognize it, but it can affect you. It may not be the best. Yeah. So these, these lessons, these ways of looking at the world, they get imprinted on our, our system. We carry them into life. We could spend this whole conversation uh, complaining about the ways that our father raised us or the ways that our mother disappointed us or what the world did wrong. And that's why. But there comes a point where we've got to decide if we're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. We start this with statement that you made, you don't get free without pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the brilliance is learning and recognizing as our humanity, we actually, as I, it's a funny, I use it as, a, as, a, as an illustration, but it's a, it's a poker illustration. You don't finish the cards you start with if you want to play well. If you're a good player and you have a skill set and you know what you're looking for, you can build a winning hand. And if you play your cards right, which is why people actually, and I don't know if this should be a sport, but it's on TSN. <laughs> That's why people watch people play poker, because you can actually change the cards you've been dealt. Hmm. And so that's the hope. So if we got something we didn't like growing up, I can choose to raise my kids differently. I can take the pain I've been through, I can learn from it, and then I can reflect back, and then I sit down and say, how do I want to show up as a parent? And my learning was actually from my experience. So experience can be a, le- a teacher. Pain can be, can, can, can be a great motivator. So what would be an example of a time in your life where you changed the cards that you were dealt? You know, my dad struggled so much with um, things were really poor. He struggled so much wanting to create stability. Even when my dad has dementia now, so he doesn't, can't remember or talk very well. But he, one of the fears he always had was, is he going to be okay? And I asked my dad when I was older, I said, what was the hardest thing you went through when we grew up? Because we didn't talk well as a family. My dad would usually not talk about it, but my mom had a stroke, so he was really raw. And I thought, if I'm going to get anything good out of him, today's the day. (laughs) And my dad thought of me, he said, the hardest thing I went through growing up was the day I sold the cow. And I so laughed because I was 13. I remember the day we sold the cow. But my dad thought if we sold the cow, if anything happened, he couldn't take care of us as a family. So that security of the cow, of being able to have milk for our family, was such an important part of his belief of being able to care for his family. And I have wrestled with that. So your question was, like, what's one thing I've changed or am working to change? I don't want to be afraid about being okay in this world. Like, I don't want to be fearful about having to worry about, like, sitting on a mattress of money or being able to make things so safe. And that plays out like in career. Like, I think some of us do jobs because there was a time where they said, just get a good job and work for a pension and then you'll be okay. And I think that belief system that hung over society for a time came out of the coming out of post-World War II and people were hungry and there were, you know, and depression thinking, if you go back to great, great grandparents, 
you know, so that kind of cultural imprinting sat on us for a long time. But I think through entrepreneurialism, through some of the ways that we can um, generate income and create money, multiple streams that we have opportunities now that maybe my, our parents didn't because they lived in a small town and worked in a, a one town industry. I think there are opportunities we have as society and I've had to be able to not have to be tied to my pension. I can live free on the earth and decide what I want to do and trust that the resources are there, are available if I'm willing to educate myself, build the right partnerships, develop the skill sets, show up. So we've talked about these values or processes that we've inherited. How do you know that they're not the right ones or at what point do you decide to change them? If you have a level of frustration, that's a good indicator. <laughs> if your partner or your spouse has pointed out something more than once, uh-huh. you can either say, uh, you can either, you know, brush it over your shoulder and, 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 and give them the whatever you're on your own, or you can actually pause and reflect. And uh, if we give our brains time to think, so if we don't give our, times, our brains time to think, if we fill it with Netflix and TV, your brain's not going to pop it up for you. Hmm. So when COVID started, I, I, I laughed because of the stuff that was exposed in me. And I've done, I've done some work and I had my insecurities pop up. And then I looked around society and I thought, we're all sitting at home and nobody's working and we're not supposed to hang out with our friends. I thought, how many of us have had stuff pop up in our brain? I said, I bet you everybody in society had something pop up. Now, whether we paid attention to it and we worked on it or we self-medicated because we can drink too much or we can fill our time with busyness. If we're willing to listen to it, your brain will give you what you need to be working on. What does that look like for you in the last year? So in the last year, I've had some physical things go on in my body. And whenever there is uh, physical ailments that um, are uncertain, it creates, uh, it puts strain on our brain and our thinking. And pain often wants us to check out. Yeah. So I can self-medicate um, and I can medicate justifiably. There's enough pain, been enough pain in my body over the last year that I can justify not being present. But on the other side of it, when we have something that we have as a desire that we want to do well, and if we can keep that in the forefront, that determines our response to pain. So you actually have to have a vision or a target ahead. Yeah. And mine is, I, again, it goes back to my parenting. I want to be present with my kids. So um, sometimes my dad drank too much and he wasn't present. And so I consciously discipline wise, not because it's hard, it's not a hard discipline, but it's because I want to be present that I have over the last year had to make choices to be present. It seems like we have this very diverse response to pain. Pain is something to be mitigated, something to be uh, avoided or reduced in our lives. And again, you don't get free without pain. And you don't get victory without pain. Yeah. Because if, if we have a desire or a dream or we're pushing for something or we're working towards something, we have to take risk. Yeah. Like there's, there's no other way to do it. It will always require risk. If you're going to get married, it requires risk. If you're going to have kids, it's going to require, it's going to push your buttons to have to, you're going to have to let them go. You're going to have to, it's going to, everything, every, every time we step forward, it actually exposes that area where we're not secure in ourselves. Yeah. And so pain is part of the process of life. And if we don't recognize that, then uh, we try and uh, 
we try and mitigate it. And I don't know if that teaches us the best way. It seems to me like pain in our lives or frustration, as you brought up earlier, is like the check engine light on your dashboard. And if you ignore that light, it's only going to be a matter of time before your car breaks down. But that initial pain or that frustration, or maybe it's, for me, been married about a year this month. And that first few months where you have to rewire your your way of dealing with conflict, you've got to build a whole new operating system Mm -hmm. together. And these moments where I'm informed that my, my choices are causing my wife pain. Yeah. And I have to take that, that check engine light, that conflict there and realize what's going on here and and how am I going to choose to respond to it? Yeah. Part of this is that there's a spirituality connection to this. This is connected to a group that has a real um, desire to connect and have, to have a spirituality and even a connection to, and a belief that there's a God in heaven that wants to help us. And so, I mean, I think that's been part of my journey that has been so valuable for me. And even, even maybe even the lifeline, if I can go that far. Because, you know, when you grow up in an environment which has heavy drinking and, uh, and then you're trying to find your way alone because my dad didn't know how to be there present, um, that creates a ton of pain. And so if I did not have some level of connection with a belief that there was a God who actually wanted to help me, mm-hmm. I would have been, uh, ho- hope, I would have been lost. My hope came knowing that, you know, there is, there is something more that uh, not only I can live for, but someone who loves me and wanted to cheer for me. Mm-hmm. So, What has community look like as a part of your journey into freedom? Mm, that's a good question, too. <laughs> so one of the things, because my dad had no dad growing up, and he wasn't present at key times in my life. And if I did ask for help, he wasn't always, didn't know how to do it. So I kind of actually learned this wrong belief that I was on my own. And that thing hung around in my life till I was close to 40. That's how long it took me hmm. to recognize it. You talk about like imprinting or programming. I didn't get it till I was 40. And when I turned like 40 and I, and I started to reach out for help because I was floundering in my life in some areas. There were some areas in my finances I was floundering. I got married at 36. You know, I, I got married because I found a couple of sweet ladies to help me who were little old ladies or, or not old, but like moms. And they kind of nurtured me and walked me through a bit. So I often have this thing, if you don't get something growing up, sometimes you got to go back and get it. Yeah. And you might be 40 to go back and get it. And I had to go back and get a few things. I had to go back and get some stuff around finances. I had to go back and get stuff. And this is why, this is why I laughed when I have girls. Because my girls have really been um, developing me and helping me to learn how to be uh, gentle and caring and, uh, and really valuing the, the beauty of the feminine side. Mm. And I didn't grow up in that. It was a strong masculine influence. And you lose some stuff if that's your only grid. So both times when I had girls, I laughed. And I have loved having girls just because of the process. It's helped me develop. So life does want to teach us. And if we're sensitive and aware of what that is, we can enter into the process. So I have to make the choice to enter in with my family. Yeah. It is apparent to me that God is very aware of the brokenness that we carry through life. He, mm-hmm. he knew the things that we would and wouldn't get from our upbringing. And 
he's okay with that mm-hmm. in the sense that he's not flustered. He's not as um, confused as we are about how he wants to respond to that. Yeah. And again, you know, I have this belief system. He actually wants to help us design it. Yeah. So he looks down at us and says, what is, what, what does Will need? What do I need? And if I'm willing to allow my brokenness and my pain to cause me to look for answers, he'll actually direct me to answers. And so most of my significant breakthroughs have come from my friends who've helped me. And if I, and I, and I got a little tear here, just you can't see it, but, but my friends, I have been very fortunate to have had amazing friends. And my friends have helped me in ways that I could never have gotten to where I am without it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, they go back, the resilience part for what I do, they talk about your social equity. If you have a good social equity or a social invest, investment community who invests in one another, who cares for one another, it's that person who comes out of a, a heavy conflict with PTSD overcomes. Hmm. Because he can come back into an environment and our friends help change us. You're, you will be like your friends in some form. So if you hang out with a raunchy crowd, you are in that cultural conditioning and you will take on some of those traits. And you might not even be aware of it. But if you want to change your world, you get better friends or different kinds of friends. And so that's the one thing that, you know, and I, I could spend an hour just talking about my friends mm. and who has helped me with what. And they are deeply dear to me and to my wife. And I mean, I, I'm talking a lot. I'll just add one last thing. When I created a vision piece for my life, I actually wrote in that I want whoever's with me cares for me and my kids. So the people I work with, the people I travel with, the company I'm a part of, the people that support me in different areas, they all know my kids' names and my kids know them. And we have a lot of fun together because I've designed that part for me, but that's what I needed. Yeah, It'll be different for somebody else. But in that area, it was, it was one of the biggest pieces that, is, that have helped me become successful from some of the stuff I've been through. Yeah. That community or support system is so vital because often we feel like we can do this on our own, we should do this on our own, or we are on our own to do this. And I've heard from one guy who said, I realize that making change in my life is so dependent on the support around me that I won't even begin to make a change mm-hmm. without having someone committed to walking on this journey with me. Yeah. Can you share with us yeah. an instance of you walking through hardship and how a friend has helped you through that season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a, I got a friend in town who, um, we work together in business and he has, he grew up in a different environment. He didn't have the same cultural imprinting. And business to him was fun. And at 19, he bought his first house. You know, how does somebody do that? (laughs) You know, how does somebody think that way? He must know a thing or two. (laughs) You know, he grew up in a different environment. Yeah. So that area for him has been um, easy. That area for me has not been. And so when I had eventually got, I I made some really bad mistakes financially um, a decade and a half ago. And uh, it took me a long time to work through that, but it was it was he and his his wife eventually, but he primarily was the one. And we sat down and we had to make a plan. And sometimes the only way forward is to be humble and put your cards on the table. And if we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> then nothing changes. 
But if you have a friend that you can trust and you can say, actually, I'm not fine in this area and then pick a friend who is better in that area than you. Mm -hmm. So my friend was Alex. And so Alex, Alex sat down with me and he made a plan. He retired, he had sold a business and he didn't need to work pre fifties. And he's got enough money to live the rest of his life and go sit on that beach and do what society tries to program us. And he sat down with his vision. He said, I just want to help whoever, whoever I want to help. And I don't, it doesn't matter financially. And so he was, I was one of his, that was part of his vision that he would help. And so we work together in work. He's part of what I do for Switchback with me. And he just shows up and he says, uh, what can we do today? Hmm. And he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need to do it. He does it because he wants to help me. Yeah. And I've had, I've got a, a number of friends like that. And, and the wisdom piece for myself and for each of us who are listening is who do we need to show up and be that for? Cause you don't get that if we don't give it away also. Yeah. And so we have to look around and say, what do I bring and how do I show up and where do I put that out? Yeah. And when we know where that is, then we can actually help others with it. And there's always somebody that has something you need. <laughs> and there's always somebody that has what you have. And if we can find out who that is and then just, just share our lives, that's a game changer for the whole world. In some ways, your life has come full circle. And now in your role that you're being that vessel to pour into someone else's life. When did you come to that realization or this passion for what you do? To be honest, I think I'm still learning that. Being able to be highly skilled and offer value that fits somewhere in the world, we, can, we have to build our own value first. And so, so it's one thing to contribute. It's another thing to recognize how we have to vest in ourselves when we show up. We have value, and that value usually gets rewarded. That's how we, that's how we make our living. And if you can add enough value, you get increased income. The key to that is I've had to build my own skill set in areas. Yeah. And I wasted maybe a decade not knowing that. And I think that's where the religious part of me got hooked in, that somehow you can just pray and God will bless us. And, you know, it's prayer and God wants to help us, but we got to do the work. Yeah. And so I am learning how to continue to develop who I am that I would be more valuable. And then the niche part of marketing is where is that needed? So it's one thing to, to say I can help somebody, but you gotta actually find out who needs it. Mm -hmm. So look at me, I'm great at this, or you're not great enough yet. So if you show up, you're actually not gonna help enough. <laughs> so go build your skill set in an area, but do what you can still. Yeah. So don't waste what you have, take what you have and then still help it out, mm -hmm. use it somewhere. I think this has applications even beyond the business world where we really need to realize that what we have, what we know, what we've learned, maybe even just the conditioning we have had from our childhood is a benefit to someone else. Mm -hmm. That there's vastly different experiences that we've had and whatever degrees or certifications you hold, you still have something mm -hmm. that someone would be blessed by and to find who is it? Yeah. Where are they? Yeah. When I'm with my clients, I explain it this way. Like we all have unique DNAs on, or imprints on our fingerprints. Yeah. So we're all different that way. There's a, you have your own DNA, it's different. But, 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 but what makes us even more incredible is you have experiences that nobody else has had. Yeah. What you've gone through in your upbringing, what you have learned through your journey, what you have experienced, be it at work or at home, nobody else on this earth has. And if you can unpack some of that, again, pain wants to teach you. The areas of, of struggle have lessons in them. And if you can unpack that, just like your fingerprint is different than anybody else's, 
the journey you have had allows you to show up with something unique and valuable for this world that nobody else can offer. Mm. And that's amazing because you can go into the most difficult uh, family or, or community, and yet if we're willing to go through it, there can be some good that comes out of that. It doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't get there instantly. There, there is, you have to work through it, but there is something of value. That seems to me like an advertisement for community. Mm-hmm. That you've had a friend, he's the financial guy. Mm-hmm. Sure you've got another friend who is the relationship guy. But when we come together, we bring our experiences, we bring our insights, our awareness, and we all become a little bit more free. We mm-hmm. all become a little bit more healthy. I think that's how the world changes. We need that from one another. And when you go through something difficult and you can actually release it or learn from it or show up maybe a little softer or maybe a little more courageous or maybe a little bit more, you develop confidence in an area, whatever that is that you bring, that makes the world better. Hmm. But if we don't do anything with what we've had, if we don't learn from our experiences, if we don't grow through our, okay, so what was my cultural conditioning? What's the good part of it? You can sift that out. What's the part that's hindering me? Yeah. <laughs> What's the part I got to let go of? If we can start to work through that, we show up better and the world changes. There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament about Joseph, who went through a series of horrific events, most of them linked to family. Mm-hmm. And by the end of his story, there's a beautiful resolution. He's in a place of influence, and much of it has come as a result of, of these negative things being turned around. He says at the end, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mm-hmm. Or in the New Testament, we have this, uh, this thought, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. And the question is whether we're going to allow God to take these messed up situations, these problems, these areas of brokenness and actually do something. Yeah. What I do love is we have people's storylines. So you can see Abraham's struggles and failures. You got 150 years almost or whatever it is of there where he's made some significant mistakes and yet he worked through them. And you've got David, you know, who made mistakes in his family and with his sexuality and that cost him dearly. But again, there's lessons in that. And the Israelites as a community, you've got 40 years in a wilderness. Those were lessons for us. So there was like incredible failure in there. There was incredible mistakes, but they were written in the New Testament. The New Testament says they're recorded for us to learn from. Hmm. And so the scriptures, they don't hide and soften and make the world all look beautiful. You know, you've got murder, you've got adultery, you've got unbelief that costs dearly. You have broken promises, you have failed marriages, and you have victories, and you have people willing to risk everything and people loving and doing miracles. We, it's our life. We have everything. Hmm. We got incredible moments that are incredibly brilliant, and we all have incredible paces where we go, I'm not sure. I had one funny, funny story. I was complaining to God. When would that have been? I was in my 30s, not married, living in a basement suite, felt like I was living in my parents' house still, and I was grumbling, and I just said, I, mean, I used a swear word, sort of, they use the S word, not the shut up word, but the, <laughs> the one that is like the manure word. And I, and I, I just said, you know, my life feels really right now. And I, and I heard clearly in my head, it was funny. I laughed. I guess I'm growing roses, you know, so we can go through something incredibly crappy 
and yet roses can grow in it. And roses do grow in manure. That's their best thing that makes them grow. So can you have roses without fertilizer? Probably not. Hmm. So that's, that's hilarious, isn't it? Because our life has both. Well, thank you for sharing some of your stories and insights. Is there a final word of encouragement that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? I think the theme is good can come out of pain. Things can be different. And you have to do the work. And the work is maybe it's friends. Maybe it's crying. Crying can be work. Maybe it's just planning. A good plan is the number one way to reduce stress. But whatever that is, we can turn things around. And wouldn't it be great if we all lived that way? That when we got to the finish line of whatever our life was, is it ended a little better than it started with. And if we could each do that as humanity, I think the world would be a better place. Hmm. Good words. Well, thank you for joining us today on Everyday Impact. Thank you for having me. There's so much hope illustrated through Paul's story, how he identified the pain in his life and did something about it. Mm -hmm. That last thing, did something about it, is what really provokes me because I've sat around and talked about my pain. I've found people to listen to me talk about my pain, but seeing that these painful moments in our lives are actually moments that provoke us, that illustration of a check engine light on the dashboard that this is an opportunity for us to lean in to grow something might need to be fixed or shifted yeah and i love how paul talked about community how his friends have helped him go through the biggest breakthroughs in his life that he had that support system once he had that support system he was able to realize and identify, I have an experience that's unique to me. I can share that and be that to someone else now. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful full circle that took place in his life, that uh, brokenness, healing through community to a place of, of being able to offer something to those around. And that's the opportunity for each of us in our own journey of pain, the imagining what's going to be on the other side of this story as we are intentional to actually do something in a moment of pain. How yeah. are we going to respond? How can I use pain as a tool rather than a roadblock? Yeah. So for our friends who are listening, where is an area of pain in your life? Where are you getting frustrated or where is maybe a, a loved one or a friend or a coworker seemingly nagging you? What's the opportunity for growth in that area? And what does it look like to be intentional in this season? We bless you guys as you process your journey with Jesus. And that this week you'd find inspiration and courage to grow through pain. We bless you on your journey to victory. Thanks for listening. Awesome. I think I've heard you say that there's going to be a few stories about 
journeying through pain. Yes, indeedy. That sounds fun. <laughs> we all love pain. Yes. Pain is my favorite. Uh, that's why I take Tylenol whenever I experience it. For the record, <laughs> we are not condoling self-destruction or pain. 